Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Cue fake podcast music. Hey, Jen, guess what? What? I, I didn't want to do it to you with it, but I'm like, she's odd to me with the fake podcast. I, I know, I know, right? You just jumped right in there. I was actually shocked. Yeah, I was like, I can't trick her again. She's on to me. <laughs> so what are you going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about the murder of India Mackey, Warren, Michigan. Whoa. I'm going to do murders that were solved by uh, Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show, because it I reignited my love. Plus, I told you I'm going through the, that whole stack of articles. Like, if you're going to do it, let's do it. And this was one of them. Unsolved Mysteries. It's on Netflix again. I and know. And I watched the first episode. Have you watched any? No, it's on my list, though. On my weekend list. Ah. So I have it, um, I've watched just the first episode and it was really, it just reminded me of like Unsolved Mysteries of the Old. And I saw the article and I have two murders, well, two deaths that were solved via Unsolved Mysteries. I refer to it as the personal ad edition because both of them involve personal ads in a newspaper, which nobody does anymore, hardly ever. It's like, the 1990s, you know, I don't know, I'd say like the 1940s, 50s through the 1990s version of like Tinder or meeting someone is putting in a personal ad in a newspaper. Right. Like SWF uh, would be single white female. Like stuff like that. It's kind of like what you, what you hear on Craigslist. Yes, that's like Craigslist in newspaper form. Craigslist. In paper form. Um, do you want me to go first or you want to go first? Uh, I'm going to go first this time if you don't mind. Go for it. All right. May sucked with solved cases. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go with Gail Delano was the first one. In 1986, Gail Delano was 33 years old and she was living in Maine and that's where she'd lived her entire life. And she was a single parent to two teenage sons. And I could not figure out if she had been married and then divorced or if she was never married. And then I was like, why is that even important? You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, yeah, why am I even looking that shit up? So I stopped. <laughs> 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 so she used to meet with her prospective romantic partners through the personal ads. And June 20th, 1986, her sons hear her having a two-hour phone conversation with this man that they thought she might have called John and they believe that she had met this guy through one of her uh, newspaper ads. And after the conversation, Gail tells her kids that she's going to go meet her date at Howard Johnson's and probably spend the afternoon with him. And then she doesn't come home for two days. And when she had not been to, when she had not returned home, her family calls the police. And this is like her parents at this point are in on it. And her car was found, Gail's car was found at the restaurant that she said that she was meeting someone at, at the Howard Johnson. But she was not at the Howard Johnson, and nobody remembered her being there. But nobody really, at this point, well, the police didn't suspect foul play. It's one of those, the parents are like, I think something's wrong. And the police are like, no, I think she's fine. Because you said that she has spent the night before with people. 
And they were like, yeah, but this has now been two nights and she hasn't called and she normally calls. And their police are like, no, you know, she's an adult and she'll come home in a day or two, whatever, everything will be fine. So her family's like, okay, they're like, all right, we'll just wait. The police are saying just to wait. Now, a couple of the articles talk about how her car keys were found at the restaurant, but they don't say if it was like the day that the car was found or the next day or where the keys were found or like outside, inside the building, where were the keys found? I don't know. And then a few days after the keys are found, her purse is found in some bushes by the restaurant and a nine-year-old boy finds the purse. And now the police do feel like, oh, maybe this is kind of suspicious because her purse had all its contact contents including like her id and everything or but, how about the fact that it's in a bush yeah how about it's in a bush and they're saying oh but the 50 dollars that she kept as an emergency stash like her wallet's in there and everything that the emergency stash money has gone maybe something happened to her like they just grabbed the cash through the purse in the uh, bushes and did whatever they want with her right so mm-hmm. one by one they start going through gail's date book because she had an old-fashioned date book and they start to go through each guy and they're interviewing them and each guy's being cleared of suspicion. And the date that she had gone on that day to the Howard Johnson's had like less notations than she normally does with her other dates. But the detectives still find the guy that they believe that was named John that she was talking to, but this guy has a solid alibi. So there was this radio DJ named Kristen Roy and Kristen Roy does notify the police that get In the prior weeks, and the DJ believed that she was suffering from depression. And with no further information about her disappearance, Gail's family begins to circulate flyers trying to, uh, okay, because they're still trying to like draw attention. So they mentioned that in the flyer that Gail wanted to leave Maine and like pe- possibly travel south. And a tow truck driver named John Scott says, Oh, yeah, I recognize her from the photograph. And I also remember she has this really strong main accent and he gives her a ride and he said, you know, I gave her a ride. She was hitchhiking, you know, a couple months before. So the police are, are like, oh, okay. So now they think she purposely did this. Gail purposely disappeared because this guy says, you know, she was hitchhiking, but her family is like, I don't know. I don't think she could hide for that long without contacting us or, you know, at right. this point, yeah, at this point, um, we've put a lot of like, you know, spotlight on this somebody would at least have seen her by now, right? And they're like, no, I don't think so. Well, just over two years later, Unsolved Mysteries has this episode that discusses Gail's disappearance, and it airs October 5th, 1988. And after the broadcast, there's this guy who's a forensic administrator in Mobile, Alabama. He saw some similarities between Gail Delano and a woman who was found deceased in a hotel room after she had checked herself in under the name of Jackie Stafford. And the body of Jackie had been found um, overdosed on prescription pills and what they believed was a suicide. Um, And that had been days after Gail Delano had disappeared. So in the in-between, forensics confirmed that the two women are the same person. And like a month uh, and one week after the first episode airs, the second episode airs to say that, you know, um, they found Gail, and that was like November 16th, 1988. And it's believed that Gail, who suffered from major depression, flew south to Alabama. Okay, so there's two there's two stories. Nobody can say for sure. Here's the first one. She, she, she does suffer from major depression. 
they're thinking that she decides or you know to disappear and kill herself and she doesn't want to burden her family so she grabs the 50 dollars throws her purse in the bushes and this is the day where you can get on an airplane without going through like a whole bunch of checks goes to this airport finds the first plane that's leaving gets on you know for the for a southern state gets on the plane it's just a random destination as soon as she gets off the plane goes to the nearest hotel and kills herself or she takes the money out of her purse chucks the purse the reason why she had less notations is she'd been planning this for a while she decides she's going to kill herself she always wanted to go south she decides to go south she hitch hikes maybe that trucker did pick her up drops her off at uh, just a random hotel room after she starts to run out of money and then she kills herself. But it's like no question that it was a suicide. And her family finds out then, you know, what happened. And she is still buried in Mobile, Alabama. They don't know why she um, signed herself in under a, a false name, why she left her family, but she was having some mental health issues. So it could be just wanting to run away or something. So the second Maybe, one, yeah, she thought it was better that her family just thought she was missing than that she killed herself. Yeah, but that is so hard because they, you like when you're missing, your family has hope that you're alive, but they are missing you at the same time. And that's why I always feel bad when people are like, oh, when you find that, that they find the Jane Doe is actually like that one girl finds out it's her mom. And then she's like, oh, you know, I miss the hope that she was alive, but at least I know what she, what happened now. And it's like, ooh, that feels bad, too. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I've got another one. Here's another mystery. Brooke Baker, she was a 19-year-old sophomore at Vincennes University in Illinois in 1997. And she was a journalism major. And she was working on a story for the university newspaper regarding date rape at a local fraternity. And Brooke had received threatening emails and had some of the fraternity members like try to intimidate her like in person with multiple dudes showing up in a truck to confront her. And, you know, I, I just imagine that'd be so scary. Some guys jump out of a truck to, you know, confront you physically about the fact that you're exposing their behavior. And on September 7th, 1997, Brooke's brother went to see her at her apartment and they found her dead body lying in the in her bed. And she had been brutally raped. And she had put up a really hard struggle before being stabbed to death. And they made a note that the faucet in her tub was running when Brooke's brother went to, into her home. So the men in the fraternity were the first suspects. Because they're angry over her interviewing other young women regarding their sexually predatory ways. So now girls aren't wanting to spend time with these guys. They're receiving a lot of negative attention because of the news article that she's researching. People know that, you know, they have this bad rep. The second suspect is Brooke's landlord. So he had a history of entering her apartment unannounced, including once when she was in the shower, which would freak me the fuck out. Right. The landlord also shined a light into her apartment bedroom late one night, like as if he's trying to see that she's if she's inside. And the police thought that maybe the night of her murder, he let himself in the home. She confronts him. You know, they fight. He rapes her and kills her. The third possibility was the detective looked into was a, a potential roommate killed her because Brick had been looking for a roommate to split the bill. And she had placed an ad in the personal section that we see. That's the personal ad yeah. section yeah, <laughs> of the newspaper that she worked at. But because there wasn't any forced entry in the apartment, so they're thinking, you know, she let somebody in, maybe it's this roommate. 
and that they killed her after she lets them in. And the final suspect that the police looked at was Brooke's cousin. Her cousin had been living with her and had moved out the week before, leaving the vacancy in the apartment that Brooke's trying to fill, right, with this roommate ad. And the cousin had moved to California and was refusing to speak to detectives. And they weren't even sure that the roommate, the cousin had any information, but it just made her look really guilty by avoiding the authorities regarding her cousin's, you know, brutal death. So the police labs had DNA samples from the man that attacked Brooke. And, but when they compared him to all the suspects, there were no matches. So in an attempt to gather more information on Brooke's murder, Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode that included her story on April 2nd, 1999. And a couple months after the airing of the episode, almost two full years after her murder on July 5th, 1999, another Vincennes College student disappeared under similar um, circumstances to Brooke. Her name was Erica Norman, and she was reported missing from her apartment, which had been found in a disheveled state as if she had fought somebody, and the faucet in her tub was still running. And the last person to be seen with Erica while she was still alive was this guy named Brian Jones. And when Brian was being interviewed by detectives, they uncovered the fact that Brian was once a roommate to a man that Brooke had been dating before she died. So now he has a connection to both these women. And since Brooke was like, this is my man's roommate, would let him in the apartment so that he wouldn't have to force entry, right? Mm -hmm. So his DNA is taken into evidence. And then two weeks after Erica's disappearance, her body's found. And Brian decides to plead guilty to Erica's murder, knowing his DNA results are going to match Brooke's murderer. So he knows that because the DNA results haven't come, come back yet. He knows his DNA is going to match, and they're going to find out he's Brooke's murderer. So he decided to plead guilty to Eric's murderer on the condition that they don't seek the death penalty for Brooke's death. I hope I explained that right. But Brian was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murders of the two young women. Why do you think people that murder try to not get the death penalty. I don't know. I mean, why do you want to spend the rest of your life in jail? Wouldn't you want to Right? Especially if you were um, a real young person. You know what I mean? Right. That question always pops up when I'm reading stuff when people do that. Like, but why? It works a lot, too. So it must be something maybe in part of human nature where you're like, no, don't kill me. Or maybe if you're like a murderer and you're afraid of death. I don't know. (laughs) I just made this shit up. I don't know. That would be interesting. You're afraid of death, but you just kill everybody. Yeah. Hmm. Like an asshole. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. So tell me your story. So November 19th, 2019. India, she was age 20, was in her boyfriend's driveway, and his name is Kevin Dixon. He was age 18. They were sitting in a vehicle having an argument. She then begins recording him. And in the record, in the video, it's a video. Oh. He's wiping his fingerprints off bullets. And loading bullets into a gun. Wait, in front of her? Yeah. So 
knowing this, can you tell if he knows if she's recording or not? I would, I don't, I don't know if he knows. Okay. It sounds like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would think he knows. Okay. But how, when you watch the video. Okay. So she's in the driver's seat. He's in the passenger seat and she's videoing him doing this and you hear him talk and tell her that he's going to kill her. Oh shit. And that he's not, you know, that he's not messing around. So after she stopped the video, it is believed that Kevin shot India. Wow. Then put her body in the passenger seat and went for a drive with her dead body. During his drive, police said he called his mother, Nikita Dixon, she's age 42, and told her what, or told her at least at a minimum to hide the evidence. So uh oh. The the there they believe that there was a jacket on the driveway with the gun in it. Wow. Kevin was pulled over after the police received multiple calls about the vehicle being seen driving erratically. The police arrested Kevin and charged him with first degree murder. Wait, he still has a body in the car? Yep, still has a body in the car. Yep, so he's out driving with her body, and then people make calls in that he's driving erratically, and he gets pulled over. Okay. So when the police come to the car, of course, they see... A dead body. A dead woman, body. She's shot. A young woman, yeah. yeah. The police arrested Kevin, and they charged him with first-degree murder, carrying a concealed weapon and a felony firearm violation. He told police that India shot herself. What? Mm -hmm. His mother, Nikita, was charged with accessory because of the phone call Kevin made to her. And based on the police investigation, she is accused of tampering with evidence. The police believe the gun was in the jacket, in a jacket on the driveway. And... And then the mother came later on and disposed of that jacket and gun. Oh, my God. Is this your second story in a row in which a parent tried to help a kid with murder and got busted? So what does that tell us? Don't help your fucking kid when they murder somebody. Right. Shit. And so no no information on this trial right now. Wow. I mean, it just happened in 2019, and we all know how long that takes. Oh, Yeah. But I thought, oh, my goodness, like, I don't understand what she was thinking. I know. If my boyfriend is sitting in the passenger seat, wiping off bullets and loading them and telling him he's going to kill me, I'm thinking I'm, I think it's real. Right. Like, get the, you could have my fucking car. Just have it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand that. You know what? What was in her mind at that point? Yeah. Like I'm, because I'd be getting out of there. Yeah. Well, I don't know what what made her stay. Like I have no idea if she didn't believe him or what, or if he'd done this before and he was lying, or if she was just too scared to try to get away. 
But that reminds me of your brother and I were in a cemetery playing Pokemon Go and this weird guy came by. And at one point I said to your brother, I was like, you know, just so we're clear, if somebody ever tries to kidnap us, you know, like come up with a gun or something, try to kidnap us, you know, we're running, right? We're not going to a secondary location. That's how you die. We're just running. Like they say, come over here. I'm kidnapping you. You and I are just taking off, right? Like, and he's like, yeah, I'm like, why are you at something? I just want to make sure that we both know what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> and then, and did you let him know that you're just going to leave his ass? Yeah. Well, I was so, like, we should run in two different directions, but he had the car keys. So I was like, no, we should probably run together. <laughs> you don't want to run together. You got to run separate. You both could be caught. No, because he has the car keys. So what if I make it and I'm just, what, still running? No, I need the car. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you know when you go out and play Pokemon Go, you should be the one holding the freaking keys. Uh, maybe, maybe. Well, this is the deal is women are cursed with pants that have no pockets and men are blessed with tons of pockets that are awesome. So that is true. Yeah, they win. They win the pocket game. All right. Until next time, Allie. Until next time. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Contact us at anchor or Michigan and other mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now.